Let's pray. Lord God, you have given us your holy word, a living and active word that penetrates to the very depths of who we are, that separates and purifies our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a study a few years ago published in Social, Psychological, and Personality Science that demonstrated the relationship between one's style of walking and their personality traits. The study correlated different styles of walking with one's degree of openness, agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion, and eroticism. How about you? Do you notice how people walk? Do you notice how Tracy drives her scooter, which is her walking in this place? There's been many a time on Sunday morning when you may have seen me walking briskly up and down the stairs in and out of Beard Hall, either to try to get a video started or a microphone to work or unlock somebody's door or make a copy. And people will say, there goes a lady on a mission. I didn't realize how unfriendly my walk was. How we walk or get around often reveals what's going on inside of us. Paul tells us this morning to walk in love. The word he uses, peripato, is an earthy word um, meaning to walk, but it actually has a broader meaning and it's translated in other translations, is to live. It's an accessible word. Walk in love means live in love. It's the same word that began our passage last week, to walk in a worthy manner, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. To live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What Paul is saying is that because of who God is and what he has done, he invites us to walk in a new reality, to live into the grace of a new life. So I want to ask us this morning, how would people speak of your walk? Are we walking in love as Christ has loved us? In a world and a culture that appears to have forgotten the grace and presence of the living God? Are we walking as people who are being made new in Christ? Are we inviting people to learn to walk alongside us? A quick review that we are working through Paul's letter to the saints in Ephesus. These are new Christians in Ephesus, working out their salvation among one another. People trying to figure out what does it mean to be people of the way, the way of Jesus Christ. It's a letter that speaks in the first three chapters of the amazing grace of God that we sang about, of the God who would choose to come to us in love, of the God who came on his own initiative into this broken world to remake it into what God has intended it to be, a dwelling place for God. Paul explains that because what of what Jesus has done, his life, his death, 
his resurrection and his ascension, we are called to live differently, to walk differently, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Our passage today begins in equal manner as it did last week with a phrase, so then, which is also translated therefore. It's that word that Paul uses over and over to connect the first half of his letter to the second half. What he's doing is connecting our belief with our behavior, encouraging us to live in the congruence of what we believe and how we live. In our text this morning, it's the first time that Paul begins with a negative. Up to this point, Paul's language has been so affirmative, encouraging, covered with the lavish grace of God. And then here, abruptly, he turns and he says, all right, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Why all of a sudden the negative? I like to think of Paul in Rome writing this letter and he's thinking and he's praying and he begins to reflect on the reality that these were new Christians and they were people that had grown up in Ephesus, a non-Jewish pagan culture. These people had little, if any, background of holiness, of the worship of Yahweh or the knowledge of the Torah or the Ten Commandments. They had grown up in a city where Roman and Greek gods and goddesses were just the norm. Artemis, the ruling goddess of the city, was a fertility figure with highly sexual inferences. And Paul is writing this letter and says, you need to grow up in God, grow up in a different way than your culture. But yet Paul must understand how easy it is to get swept up in what the normal culture is. His culture had been, if you remember, a strict Jewish Pharisee, obeying the law, self-righteous, and he had to put off that legalism and self-righteousness, and he had to put on grace, didn't he? The culture around us shapes how we grow up. It's like the story you've probably heard of the frog in the pot of water. You put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it jumps right out. But if you put a frog in a nice comfortable water and then you slowly turn up the heat, the frog becomes complacent and then he lets himself be boiled. Paul knew that his readers could be easily swayed by the culture around them. It's what they knew. It's what they'd grown up with. It's what they were familiar with. Friends, is that not the reality in our world today? The culture that we are living in these days fits the very description of this Ephesian Gentile culture that Paul describes. Listen to these words. One darkened in understanding, a culture that is alienated from the living God, one that is hardened in heart and mind, callous towards the ways of God, an ethos of relative truth, a culture of greed and self-righteousness. Sounds like our culture. 
You throw in a health pandemic and the suffering and doubt that it brings, and we now have a validated mental crisis with significant depression, anxiety, and increasing suicide rates. People young and old have no sense of identity or purpose. People appear far from seeing or experiencing the grace of God in the midst of this broken world. So what are we to do? What did Paul do? His words, don't walk as the Gentiles do. He said, go back to what you know. This is not the way you learned Christ. He says, remember what you were taught, that truth is in Jesus. Jesus himself said that we have to be born again, that we have to be born into another reality, born into a new life where the desires and distractions and disordered priorities of this world, of this culture, do not define us. What defines us is that we belong in life and in death to God in and through Jesus Christ. And it is God himself who gives us his Holy Spirit to unite us with Christ so that we might be made new. Remember this reality, Paul says, put off that old self whose identity and purpose is found only temporally in the things of the culture around you and put on the new self that is the one created in the very image and likeness of God. The put off and put on are both imperative verbal commands, something for us to do, put off, put on. The early church <clears throat> took this literally in their baptism liturgies. The baptismal candidates would get up in the middle of the night and they would face the West in the dark and they would renounce the forces of darkness. And then they would wait until the sun rose and they would turn around and turn to the East and proclaim their allegiance to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. They literally stripped off their old garments. Then they were baptized, and I guess they were baptized naked. And then they actually put on new garments. Put off and put on. Between these two imperative commands, Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is a passive tense verb. This is not something we do. This is something done to us by God. We are being renewed by God through his spirit. This is the both and of growing up in Christ. You see, God does not just wave a wand over us and change our desires. We have to consciously choose and will our behavior. But at the same time, the strength that we have to make changed choices these directives that Paul begins to write about comes from the power of the Holy Spirit within our inner person. And it requires on our part, as God is renewing, an attentiveness to God within, an abiding and a remaining in Christ. It's our participation in God's life through the Spirit 
that enables us to bring our belief and behavior together. It's not so hard that we try, it's that we're attentive to what God's Spirit is doing with us as he changes us. Think about this. One Christmas a few years ago, my daughter Hollister gave me a six-month subscription to Eccentrix. This is a classical stretch workout program that you could live stream on your television or your computer, I guess your phone. Great idea, and one that I had asked for. And I actually knew people that did this and they always looked so in shape. So this this, um, workout had the capability, it said on the package, to strengthen, stretch, and tone my muscles and joints in order to increase my flexibility, improve my posture, and relieve chronic pain. I was all in. I was really excited to get it. Well, guess what? (laughs) I never loaded it on my computer or my TV, or my phone. Six months went by, and it was like I'd never taken the gift out of the box. There was something I needed to do, to participate in, to bring the results of improved fitness. I needed to put it on. I needed to open the box, load it on my computer, and then I needed to practice it. I needed to receive the gift that was given to me. And friends, you and I need to receive the gift that God gives us of transformation, of putting on new life in the power of the Spirit. Paul is encouraging us in this very thing. Put on this new self. Be attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and participate in that transformation that God so longs to give us. That's why he created us. That's what he's destined us for, to be made more and more in the image of Christ Jesus. So then we have the next paragraph, and again, Paul starts with therefore. Therefore, this putting on and off and putting on, this being renewed. Then he says, therefore, this is what your new life is going to look like. The behaviors that Paul is talking about here are not merit badges set out for us to achieve. Rather, they are marks of new life given to us in Christ, a God-fashioned life. I'm going to read through those traits that Karen read, except for I'm going to read in the message translation. Paul writes, what this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you really end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. And watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Each of these marks could be a sermon in themselves 
speaking of how we walk in love in Christ. How many times have you heard in marriage homilies, do not let the sun go down on your anger? Very good words and a sermon in them themselves. But what I want to emphasize this morning is something greater than specific conduct, as, as important as that is. All the directives written that I just read speak about the marks of this new life and the way of that we conduct ourselves with one another. And then in this list, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This seems almost out of place in this list, but I think this is key to the entire conversation. This one is directed not to our behavior with one another, but to our behavior with God. What do you think grieves the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's mark upon us that we belong to him. It is his seal. It is the spirit that unites us to Christ and allows us to live in Christ. Paul's favorite phrase used 27 times in Ephesians alone. All aspects of our Christian life from the beginning to the end revolve around our union with the Son, of being in Christ. And our lives are created to be a reflection of Christ's relationship to his Father. Galatians 4, 6, God sent his Son that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was with his disciples and he spent a lot of time praying for them because he knew that culture was out there and he knew what they were going to be up against. And this is what he prayed. He said, may they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that they, the disciples, you and me, may be in us. Jesus is praying that we would be one with the Father. This is an invitation into the divine love shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a prayer that we may be part of God's triune life. When Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he's saying, don't break God's heart by turning away from this gift, from the life he is leading us into, a life that will change us, that will transform us, so that we become, as Paul continues to write in chapter five, imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Walk in the love shared between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The love that gives itself away as a sacrifice for another. So when Paul is encouraging us to put off the old self and put on the new self, 
He is inviting us to reframe our identity and purpose in life. God does not simply renew us and change us so that we might be models of good behavior. Rather, he desires to draw us close to him in and through Christ, who is our living water, that we might live lives of sacrifice for others and share this living water with the world. I attended the North Carolina Presbytery meeting yesterday at First Presbyterian Church, Mooresville, with other pastors and elders in our eco-presbytery. The teaching presentation for the first half of the meeting was on livable theology. The speaker, just so happened that this is what I was preaching on, challenged us to live what we believe. He believed, and I agree, that these last 20 months that have been so difficult of pandemic life, he said, this is an opportunity for the church, for us to speak to so many in our world who are defined by the culture, who are so thirsty for God, who are thirsty for living water, people who think they cannot face tomorrow, people who have lost hope, people who are alienated from God and have no idea of the depth of their thirst. People who are quenching their thirst in things of our culture that don't satisfy. I was really burdened and sad this past week. Three suicides that have impacted our Charlotte community. My heart breaks deep in despair. Might God be speaking to us in new ways to engage with those in this world who are outside of these walls, who live in a totally different culture, who are so hungry and thirsty for God, yet they don't even know it? Can we engage in ways where God's grace can be contextualized in the only culture that they know? Can we sacrifice and form relationships that embody the gospel in ways that cost and call for sacrifice? Can we learn another's name and extend grace and point them to the hope of life with God? Can we walk in love, the love of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit? And can we invite others to walk with us? I wanna close with words from a song that is very meaningful to me. The name of the song is The Summons, and if I thought ahead, I would have had Mike sing it. But The song was written by John Bell, uh, who was part of the Iona community. And Iona is a island in Western Scotland. And back in the sixth century, St. Columba went there and began a monastery. And it was from that monastery that he evangelized all of Scotland. He knew how to walk in love. These are the words of the song and was sung at my ordination. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? Will you leave yourself behind if I but call your name? 
Will you care for cruel and kind and never be the same? Will you risk the hostile stare should your life attract or scare? Will you let me answer prayer in you and you in me? Will you let the blinded see if I but call your name? Will you set the prisoners free and never be the same? Will you kiss the leper clean and do such as this unseen and admit to what I mean in you and you in me? Will you love the you you hide if I but call your name? Will you quell the fear inside and never be the same? Will you use the faith you found to reshape the world around through my sight and touch and sound in you and you in me? Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company I'll go where your love and footsteps show. Thus I'll move and live and grow in you and you in me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.